Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. Crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 11, Episode 5, Superman. In this week's episode, we got a little better breakdown of the crime scene. Uh, hopefully, most of you went on our social media channels and checked out the scene diagram so you could understand what I was talking about. We learned a little bit about the forensics, the guns that were used, the casings that were found on the scene. And then we heard from witness Superman, who had originally told police that he knew who had committed the shooting, but refused to testify because he had been threatened and was afraid for his life. So I'm joined here in the studio today by Zach and Mike. Uh, Zach's got some things he wants to talk about. Mike doesn't. And we got a bunch of questions from you guys, which Mike will read right after the break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before we get into the questions for this week's episode, I do have to do a shameless plug here. I don't ever do this, but I promised my 16-year-old son that I would at least tell you guys that he has made a mobile game, an app for the Apple App Store for your iPhones. Uh, I'm super proud, Dad. He's 16 years old. He wants to be a computer programmer. And so he's trying to build a resume for college, and he has created a mobile game for the iPhone only right now, and it's called Monkey Game Go Bananas. Uh, so if you get a second, it's a free download. Check it out. Just 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 him seeing the amount of downloads he gets will really will really give him a nice little charge. And if you take the time to give him a review, he'd really love it. Again, it's free. The game's called Monkey Game Go Bananas. I would love it if you guys would check it out. Uh, super proud of my kid, 16 years old. When you look at it, you'd be looking at a game that was made from scratch, created, designed, and coded by my 16-year-old Quentin. So one more time, Monkey Game Go Bananas, free on the Apple App Store. Uh, thanks so much if you check that out. And Quentin, you're welcome. And then from there, all right, uh, this week's episode. Uh, oh, one more little piece of housekeeping uh, before we go. We are, as you guys, those of you who've been listening for a long time know that in the middle of November every year, we take one week off. Mike and I go up to the Rough Family Beer Camp uh, where we're, we go to our hunting cabin with um, with my dad and brother and cousins and friends. And we, we all spend a week up there and kill a whole bunch of beers. Uh, so that's going to be this coming week. So there will be an episode on Sunday. But the follow-up for that episode will not be until the 26th. We'll be off for, for that whole next week. So just know that's coming. 
Zach, you listened to the episode. What'd you think? Uh, the big thing that stuck out to me right off the get-go was the second shooting at Buffalo Fred's, mm-hmm. where they said they were kind of their intimidating witnesses. That was huge for, for people to come forward and say that. The most fr- Well, it, keep in mind the way that went down was what ultimately happened there, if it wasn't clear in the episode, was Emerson's father was not happy with the police that they hadn't made an arrest. And so he had friends of his going, you know, asking around, trying to find out what happened. And so it was Emerson's father, Noki's friends that had gone to Buffalo Fred's and Shorty Cisneros, Ron Stramberg and Jason Woolley heard that they were asking questions and they went in and they I think they said they knocked the teeth out of one of the guys, pistol whipped the other one, started firing shots in the air and were threatening anybody that that had witnessed the perfect rack shooting not to testify, or that they and their families will be killed. Do we know if it was the following Friday, like three days later, or like a week later? We do know, but honestly, off the top of my head, I can't tell you that right now. I don't remember if I said the date on the episode, and it's, it's in the report, but I want to say it was like a week and a half later, but I have to verify that. It was before Pablo was arrested. That's, that still just really sticks out to me, that, they, that that was out there. People knew that was going on, and still nothing came from it. More concerning is the fact that the police knew. Mm-hmm. Royce Wainton and Robert King knew that that was going on. That, that, that report was Noki calling them and uh, uh, calling the police and telling them, hey, my friends went to this place and they got pistol whipped, their teeth knocked out, and, they're, and these three guys are threatening witnesses not to testify about my son's murder. So when you, th- when you think about that, and, and what you're going to hear Sunday is going to blow your freaking mind what they knew. They knew that when they were pursuing Pablo. They knew that when they never asked Ron or Shorty to come in for questioning. They never interviewed them. They never did anything. It's It almost seems like they were as afraid of Ron and Shorty as the witnesses were. Yeah, I can't believe they disregarded them the way they did. I mean, they keep being brought up. Why would they not talk to them? It, it's baffling to me. Yeah, the report literally says everyone is saying that it was Ron Strandberg, Shorty Cisneros, and Jason Woolley. This is every, the, the report says everyone is saying that. And to boot, if you can't tell I'm a little irritated with these couple of detectives and the Houston PD in general and the Harris County DA's office in general, King testified under oath that no one had ever mentioned Ron Strandberg's name to him during the course of the investigation. When his own notes say literally everyone mentioned his name. Just completely straight up lied under oath. And and it was because of that, it was based on what he was saying, that the judge ruled that Pablo's defense was not allowed to bring Ron Strandberg or anybody else up as an alternate suspect. And we're going to get into a little bit on Sunday, one of the key components of that. But there was a key piece of evidence that that was incredibly important for the jury to hear and when McLean, uh, Pablo's attorney, tried to bring it up, Bogar objects to relevance, and the judge sustains it. It's like, how the fuck is that not relevant? And you'll hear what I'm talking about on Sunday. But to claim that this piece of evidence wasn't relevant is outrageous. But it was because they had the judge had ruled, and I believe it was a motion in limine before the trial, that you're not allowed to bring up Ron Strandberg as an alternate suspect. That's absolutely crazy to me. So with the, the Superman gentleman that we discuss in this episode, do we know when he's first talked to? 
I mean, like, so this interview that we hear is 13 years later. This is this sounds like right. when they're going through the appeals process. Exactly, yeah. But how soon after was he brought in to, to talk about it or to look at a lineup? I believe he originally talked to police on the night of and then and then gave statements. I, I think it says, like, when he was shown, like, photo arrays or whatever, when he came in and, and gave statements, it was two days after the murder. It was okay. immediately afterwards. Like, he was a known witness. And we see... His name, again, you know, with the documents, this is one of the things that makes everything so tricky is everything cross-references, and there's a bunch of people that are afraid for their lives, but there's like a bunch of other witnesses who are saying, that dude, Superman, was there. Mm-hmm. And then they, they, talk, they're like, they had talked to him, they talked to him again, and then he, uh, and, and then he gave his statement. Somebody on the, on the fan page, I want to clear up too, had said that uh, they thought that it seemed like he really didn't know anything. And, and I would say, go back and listen to the episode again when I talk about what he had told police so that's the whole point his hesitation at the beginning of that interview was really caught me when they ask him and, yeah. and there is a a good 15 second pause right that you're almost trying to figure out what's going on in the episode but it's him trying to figure out what he wants to answer or how he wants to answer and and that's one of the reasons why i wanted you guys to hear it was because so like i'm listening i'm listening to all this audio right and i'm looking for Pieces of the audio that help tell the story that we can clip out and put into. So instead of me telling you the story, someone can tell you in their own words. And as I'm listening through his, I'm just like, this is gut wrenching. Like, so I'm going through these emotions as I'm listening to it. And that's why I decided, you know, I just want you guys to hear it. I want you to hear, even though he's not really giving him any information, he his what he's not telling you speaks volumes. And and when you listen to the episode, the whole point was he told police he did know what was happening. Detective King told Anna, who was Noki's, Emerson's father's girlfriend at the time, in her notes, Detective King told her, this Superman guy knows who did it. He knows who the killer is. He was there. He saw it, but he's afraid to testify. He's been threatened, and he's afraid for his life and his family. So that was the point was, that yeah, and when he's talking, he's saying that he doesn't know anything. But that's the point. We know that he does know something. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then also you got to listen to kind of the minutia there. Really listen to what he's saying. When he says, you know, after that long pause, mm-hmm. he says, man, I, I want to do the right thing. I'm always somebody that does the right thing, but I just can't. Well, if you think he doesn't know anything, then what's the right thing? The right thing that he's talking about is telling the truth about who did this. Do you think in his story he changed it to make himself sound less as a witness because yeah it sounds like he was a witness and then in his story he's like i don't know i was inside and we heard gunshots he's yeah he's trying what he's trying to do is get them to leave him the hell alone Mm -hmm. you know so that's why he's you know it's exactly what he's doing he's saying you know i thought it was daytime and i was inside i didn't hear anything but you got to listen to every word he says because he's because he's because he's saying oh i want to tell you i just can't speak on it i want to do the right thing i can't Man, I'm afraid for my family. It's going to cause me to be a criminal because I'm going to have to do something to protect myself if I say anything. That really caught me off guard when he said that, when he said, if I tell you what happened, it now makes me a criminal because I have to go out after these people before they come after me. Right. That That's heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's rough. But that was, that was the whole thing was he does know what happened. And there was, I mean, there's just, it's so, it's got Sunday's episode is, is, Gonna is gonna blow your top. I mean, it's unbelievable. The whole the the biggest point that I think is, is, that needs to come across is what the police knew and what they didn't do about it. I'm really looking forward to it. 
only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. All right, guys, jumping into these questions, our first one's from Emma. It would be really cool to hear from Jim Clemente and his thoughts on Superman's interview and see what he picks up. Yeah, I mean, that that's always nice. The thing is that Jim is super busy, and I try not to, you know, he's always been there for us to do do us a favor and come on and, and analyze these cases for us and statements when we need him. But that's a, it's a big tax on his time. And in this case, it's, a, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't ask that favor of him for this because as, as Zach and I just explained, you can do a statement analysis on what he's saying and tell there's indicators there that he's holding back, that he's not telling the full truth. There's plenty of that. There's stuff that Jim's taught me that I can pick up through that. Some of the stuff that I'm just telling you, just listen to what he's actually saying. When he says things like, man, I really want to do the right thing. He's, he's leaking out that he knows more than he's telling you. But ultimately, in this case, it's not even worth the analysis because we have documentation from the time of the murder where we know for a fact that he's lying in this interview when he's saying that he doesn't know anything or he's saying that he didn't see anything because we have the original documentation where we know that he did see those things. All right, we've got a couple questions from Lynn. First, does Shorty know the real identity of Superman? No, he doesn't. They didn't they didn't have any connection at all. Um and that's 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 one of the reasons I went with the nickname uh from 17 years ago because and other elements we know that nobody really knew that nobody knows what his real name is or where he's at or anything like that. But no, Shorty didn't know him. Next, Lynn says, when Superman states he had to step over Emerson, was this before police arrived or did police not secure the crime scene? There had to be a back door for bar patrons to exit. Well, Emerson wasn't found in front of the bar. He was found down the sidewalk a little bit. On the diagram that I posted, it says clothes, and that's from when they did the crime scene diagram where... When once Emerson had been moved and taken to the hospital, that there was that's where the bloody pile of clothes was left. That's where that's where he was shot. Um, I don't know what he meant by I had to step over him. I I don't know if why that was where he was trying to get. And I don't know you know if that was when police were there or when men. I, I know there was there was a nurse on scene that was that was that was trying to help Emerson. Then the the fire department EMS got there and they were working on him. Uh, and then, of course, the police uh, after that. So I, I don't know at what point he was moved or at what point Superman was you know, stepping over him. Where is Shorty today? I believe uh, if I have the right person and everything seems to line up, I believe that Shorty Cisneros is in prison right now for an aggravated sexual assault. Uh, and he is not scheduled for release until 2046. 
All right, next Lynn says, have you been able to decipher the codes drawn by the detectives on the scene? Two sets of five circles with a number four and the two squares with the number two. I I have not. I mean, there's in, in other pages after that, they they use a numbering system. He he's he's writing down different cars that were in the parking lot and using like a one, two. So I thought that's what it was, but then there's all those circles there. I, I I really don't know what those are. I, I believe the numbers are different vehicles that were still in the parking lot when they got there. I don't know about the circle. Then, of course, you see in there where they, they if you can read his handwriting, he says there's like a Budweiser bottle laying there. Um, he makes a couple notations like that. But but yeah, I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. It took me a while to even figure out the code he used for the the shell casing. So the most confusing part about that is the symbol he used to mark the 40 caliber shell casings was a nine. He wrote, the, he wrote the number nine. Like he wrote where the nine millimeter casing was, wrote nine millimeter. Mm-hmm. And then where all the 40 cal bullets are or casings are, he writes nine. And then off to the side, he wrote like R was for rifle for the rifle casings. Nine millimeter was for the nine millimeter casing. And then he wrote nines. For, I, all I can think of is when he originally did it, he thought they were nine, uh, nine oh, millimeter. Maybe. And then later looked and realized they were 40s. I don't know. Joshua says. Do we have any pictures of the shell casings from the crime scene? If the 9mm case was fired from a 40 Smith & Wesson like you theorized, it should show signs of being blown out due to the chamber size difference. I've heard about these things happening at competition shoots, but they almost always put the gun that fired the wrong ammunition out of commission for a while. Yeah, and Zach, you were saying the same thing. From for those of you that don't know, Zach Zach used to compete nationally as mm-hmm. a. I've actually shooter. the the listener that posted that I've actually shot. I've competed with and against. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, no, that's a hundred percent accurate. I I can't say that that shell wouldn't eject or wouldn't. Ha- you know, I mean, there's there's a definite probability that it it could eject after a spent shell, but I, the the few times that I've actually seen this exact thing happen, where someone loaded a nine into a forty. Mm-hmm. The shell casing expands so violently that it jams up the gun. Right. Almost to the point we used to joke and call them death jams, where mm-hmm. like you the gun's done until you need you a can, screwdriver to get yeah, it out of there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not coming out easily. And basically what it is, for layman's terms, is a, a forty cal a forty caliber shell casing will fit directly in the chamber perfectly. So there's there should be no gaps, whatever. So when that round is fired, the gas expels the shell back out of the chamber and out of the gun. It's the easy way to explain it. A 9mm is smaller, so it doesn't fit tightly in the chamber. So that gas can escape around, and it actually blows the soft brass open wider. Right. Which then, in turn, jams it up. Yeah, that's, that's what I read was the, yeah, the, the issues with it. One are... Because they doesn't seal tightly, there's not enough pressure always to to eject it. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, because of the space, the end of the brass flares out, and that can also cause it to hang up inside. Yeah. I read that like over half the time they'll jam into the gun. Yeah, I've like I said, I've 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 only seen this happen about three times. I haven't seen it hundreds of times, but I've right. seen it happen in front of me about three different times. Mm-hmm. And all three times, I mean, it was that gun was done at that point. That doesn't stop this scenario from happening. It doesn't right. say it can't happen, but that, I mean, that it's a big deal when it does happen. On that note, too, I want to point out that you're going to hear a lot more about the shell casings on Sunday. I'll tell you this, that my, my, my thoughts on it have changed. I got a little bit more information, newer information since I recorded that episode. 
And I'll tell you this, I do not think the answer to the question is, yeah, I've got a photo of the casing and it's not flared out. Okay. So it looks like it was a nine millimeter fired from a nine millimeter. I'll, I'll tell you now that I, before you hear Sunday's episode, that I'm pretty certain that it was a nine millimeter fired from a nine millimeter and that there was a second gun on the scene. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. See, this part, this is the, I would hate to say excites me, but this is the part that excites me. I, I love hearing like ballistics of, of firearms. Yeah. There's a lot more of that coming Sunday. And uh, I'll tell you this, there was, a, I think there was a nine millimeter and there was a 40 caliber. And I don't think that Jason Woolley was pulling a Doc Holliday at the, at the scene at all. So there was a shooter on the grassy knoll? Something like that. Ooh. All right. Kelly says, how many beers do you anticipate killing at deer camp this year? Well, that's a great question, Kelly. Uh, tomorrow is shopping day for, for beer camp. And uh, personally, I think we're going to be there for six days. If you figure, you know, you start drinking at noon, uh, run tonight, say, what's that? 20 bush lights a day. It's a lot of beer. Uh, oh, that's six, a lot. That's 120. So I'm thinking uh, four, four dirty thirties of bush light ought to do it that's for the week. That's so much. <laughs> that is so much. You just commented that I looked then sitting here. I bet I don't next week when we get back. Oh, that is so much. Yeah. We destroy our bodies for, for a whole week. I can't, I don't know how you got, we just did our MBI fall trip up there. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine doing it worse than that. No. And to be honest with you, I'm talking shit because Michael tell you that I, that I, uh, I'm the old man in the group. I'm slow and steady wins the race. So usually there's, we got a couple of our buddies that they go hard in the paint. They will put down a 30 pack a day and you won't even see it on there. I don't know how, if I have 10 beers and I wake up the next morning. I feel like I've been run over by a truck. So I try like hell to avoid that, uh, that feeling. I try to really pace myself throughout the week. So much. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. All right, Erica says, regarding the 9mm casing found, as I'm not familiar with guns whatsoever, if someone knew that they had the wrong size bullet in a gun, but knew the gun would work even though it's dangerous, as in the case at hand, would it decrease the danger to the shooter at all to knowingly use that bullet to fire a warning shot? Or is it dangerous to the shooter regardless? I think the standard language would be, and I don't know if Zach, if you'd agree, is it's dangerous to ever fire a round through a gun that is not intended. 100% realistically in this scenario from what i've read zach's seen it so he, he probably would know better but from what i've read this is not typically a gun blows up in your hand a, a dangerous situation usually it's just that it jams your gun up yeah i mean it, it is dangerous to ever fire around that's not meant for that caliber but this isn't necessarily yeah i mean like bob said this isn't 
this isn't too much pressure. This isn't something that's going to explode on you. Mm-hmm. It just it, it causes a major issue. And and no one in their right mind would do this on purpose. I, I genuinely, mm-hmm. if we st- if we're still with the scenario that that nine millimeter was shot through a forty, loaded in a, a forty magazine and shot mm-hmm. through that forty. No one did this on purpose. This wasn't a countermeasure. There's no rhyme or reason to do this besides it was a mistake. Yeah. And, and see, I had gotten, so I had some information prior to the recording. Afterwards, I got some more uh, info as I was trying to filter through reports. And and I thought, I even thought there was a connection, like it was almost confirmed. Like, no, we know for a fact this gun went to here. And then I finally got to the bottom of it just yesterday, actually, and and found out that the yeah, others really, there's no way. The nine was fired through that because I was kind of going through the same scenario. Like, why would like a warning shot or you know a counter? But but then these chase like it just I can't piece them together in my mind why someone would do that. As it turns out, he didn't. Anybody that would have enough forethought to try to fire that as a countermeasure would also have enough insight to understand that's not a it's not going to work. That there's a possibility that it's right. going to jam the gun. Past that, I think it's somebody, you know, I mean, you wouldn't do that on purpose if you didn't know. Yeah, I, th- I think that if someone was going to try to do that as a forensic countermeasure, I could see him putting a 380 round through a 9 millimeter. Mm-hmm. That's commonly done and it works. Uh, or, uh, you know, a 38 special round through a 357 Magnum. That That's another common one that they're, you know, they're literally the same diameter mm-hmm. and they'll work. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're going to do that, you don't take, put a gun, a, a rounded that's almost almost guaranteed to lock your gun up yeah it's if this scenario is true which it does now sound like it isn't but if that scenario is true they surely didn't do it on purpose right all right the next question is from christina were the guns run through nibin to see if the shells at the club match the shells at the second shooting uh no but there was some testing done it's to my knowledge no but there definitely was some um some testing done that we'll talk about more on sunday Last question is from Troy. I can't figure out why you shot at the ground the first shot and then chased him firing at him. It would seem if you were firing a warning shot not to harm him, you would just let them run away. Why not shoot at him when he is still right in front of you? That's a great question. That thought process is a lot. I was just talking about with Zach where I, can, I couldn't figure out the behaviors for someone that would have that 9mm round uh, in that forty cal. And ultimately, the conclusion that I came to, and you're going to hear how I got there and all of the details on Sunday, is that I think, and this may come as a shock to most of you, I think Woolies telling the truth. And you'll hear all about that on Sunday. Uh, and that's going to wrap it up for today. But I want to remind you guys, we do have a main episode this week. It's coming Sunday in two days. After that, we're off for a week. So the follow-up episode. For Sunday's episode, will air on November 26th, I believe, which is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. That's when we'll be coming back, uh, and so the follow-up will be we'll be putting those questions out earlier that week. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you tune in on Sunday. If you get a chance, download Monkey Game, Go Bananas. For my kid, he'd really appreciate it. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you to all of you and all of you that celebrate Thanksgiving. Make sure you have a good one. Everybody else, just have yourself a great week. And we'll be back fully rested and refreshed on the 26th of November on Black Friday.
Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.